Welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 23, Writing Point of View, an interview with Jacqueline Diamond. Now, you are going to find that Jackie is not only the nicest woman in the world, but she is an excellent teacher. So I'm really glad that you're here to listen to her talk about a topic that can be really difficult for writers at any stage. But before we get to the interview, just a couple of quick reminders. I wanted to let you know that if you're interested in uh, finding links to things that you're listening to in various episodes, there are show notes for each episode over at the website, which is podcast.com rightnowworkshop.com. And I also have a blog over there, which about once a week or so has a really interesting, helpful article on something that might have to do with time management, or um, I just posted something really interested on using the Send to Kindle app as a really easy way to send documents and PDFs and stuff to your Kindle in a way that you can actually read and read easily. So that's great. So there'll be articles over there on the blog once a week or so. And um, also there's a Facebook group for anybody who is following the show and wants to just have more personal interaction personal interaction is fun. I really enjoy it. And having a Facebook group instead of a page allows us to talk to each other back and forth in a dialogue instead of just a monologue of me posting on it and never really ever being being able to see what other people want to talk about. So the Facebook group, you can just go over and search for Right Now Workshop and Podcast, or the actual address is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Right Now Workshop and Podcast. And remember, it's W-R-I-T-E, right now that way. Okay, that is it for me for now. I hope that you enjoy this interview. It's a good one. Jackie is a great teacher. Well, Jacqueline Diamond, welcome back to the Right Now Workshop Podcast. Good to be here. It's so good to have you back. Last time we were talking about characterization, but this time we're talking about, uh uh-oh, point of view. view. (laughs) Which which actually springs from characterization, because how you see the world has to do with who you are. Right. And point of view is very interesting, because a lot of people will go, what the heck is that anyway? Well, when you're watching a movie or TV, you are kind of in a point of view, but it's filtered for you by the director, the camera, the actor and actress, unless there's a a narrative like uh, my big fat Greek wedding has a a wonderful (laughs) narrative and then you're in her point of view. So you're seeing the story from her perspective in novels. We can be in a single point of view. We can be in multiple points of view at different times. Uh, We'll talk a little more about what to watch out for. I did want to, we wanted to introduce me, and I, I don't want to miss that part because you're going, who is this woman? What is she, why does she think she can tell me anything about writing? <laughs> well, my name is Jacqueline Diamond. I've sold more than 100 novels. I've uh, sold romance, mystery, uh, a few uh, other genres here and there. I'm currently writing the Safe Harbor Medical Mystery Series. It's I hate to say a spinoff because you don't need to have read them, but it is based on my Safe Harbor Medical Romance series, which 17 books that were published by Harlequin and were set in a small town in California and each had a separate hero and heroine. And the books were told from two points of view. Some scenes were from the heroes, some from the heroines. So what is this point of view we keep talking about? (laughs) That's how the author filters the world through the character for the, the audience or the reader. 
So how do you do this filtering for the reader? Yeah. Well, when you're in a scene, people notice different things and they react in different ways depending on their character. So if I'm, um, I'm an author. So when I'm in a room full of people, I'm looking for interesting character. (laughs) (laughs) I don't just think, well, that guy's kind of weird or she's kind of snobby. Hmm, wonder why they act that way. And I wonder how they could fit into a story. So I have an author's perspective. Now, if you were a psychologist, if you were a police officer, if you were any number of other things, you would notice different things. And we filter that in our narrative. So it might be something, it could be first person, I said this, I did that, or third person, he, she, or even second person, which is you, and that's almost only always used for how-to books. Ah, that's not used very much in fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, so, oh, I bumped <laughs> how-to books. So let me go a little far afield, and I did write a how-to book <laughs> called "How to Write a Novel in One Not So Easy Lesson" by Jacqueline Diamond, available as an ebook at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Smashwords, Kobo. And iTunes. Awesome. Back to point of view. <laughs> I have a few notes here. So you, you, point of view is a great way to reveal character and reveal the background without telling. In other words, you don't have to start, hi, I'm Joe Schmo and I'm 15 and I hate my mother and my <laughs> father ran off. You don't need to do that. When I look, if I'm Joe Schmo and I'm talking to my teacher I mean, she wouldn't talk to me that way, except that she knows my father ran out on us and my mother's kind of loony and so there's nobody to protect me. So I'm thinking that I'm perceiving what the teacher's saying. It may not be true. It may just be my perception through my personality because we're in my point of view. And you as an author can say things in point of view and the reader might question it. They might say, that's an unreliable narrator. I don't really think the teacher is scolding him (laughs) for... Uh, writing notes in class because his father ran out on him, but he might think that. Right. Okay. Okay. I just have to tell you while you're talking, all I can think of is my favorite, my current favorite Netflix TV show called Stranger, Stranger Things. Things. Right. I love that show. Yes. I love that show. That is a great show. And those yeah. are characters that you remember. Of course, you don't have point of view in the same way, but they're so strong that you know how they're seeing things. Yes. You can imagine what they're going to make of something before it happens or when it happens or what their reaction is going to be. And you have a chance, as a, as if you're writing fiction, to do that in a different way, but to still include that. And it can be a lot of fun. Right. Now, um, you must, if you're going to write fiction and you want to master point of view, you must read. You must read fiction. It doesn't do you any good to read manga. It doesn't do any good (laughs) to read comic books. It doesn't do any good to play video games. It doesn't necessarily do you any good to watch movies on TV. I I won't say none because it can create very interesting characters. But if you want to be in somebody's head, you need to be reading fiction and seeing how other authors are doing it. Um, And here's, I've written a little exercise and Kitty thinks it's okay if I read a little bit from this. I'm sorry if it, Seems like, ah, talking head. This will be really helpful for you guys. Okay, this is an exercise in point of view. Uh, Picture your favorite restaurant. It could be McDonald's. It could be Shea. 
expensive, (laughs) 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 whatever. Okay. Now you're going to describe this very briefly from three different perspectives. Number one, you're about to open a restaurant in the same area. And what would you notice? You might look at who's eating here. Uh, What's the decor? How are they managing to get people in and out? What's working? What's not working? So you would be seeing only from that perspective, which is not what you or I would normally look from. Number two point of view. Imagine you used to meet your lover in this restaurant. Years have separated you. Maybe you had a bitter quarrel or you were spies for different countries. And you're meeting here again and you got here a little early and suddenly you realize you're not even sure what he or she looks like anymore. <laughs> what do you notice when you're sitting in this restaurant? Are you paying attention to who's eating what and what's on the menu? I don't think so. But who are these people? Is that her in wearing a blonde wig? <laughs> that, wait a minute. He used to be a vegetarian. Could that be him with the bacon and hamburger? <laughs> so you're going to notice different things. Now here's the third one. Imagine you're a police officer or a detective. You've received a tip that someone in this restaurant is an escaped fugitive. But you don't want to endanger people by making a big fuss. So you're trying to figure out, well, wait a minute, we don't know much about this person. Maybe it was a tip that got garbled somehow. Um, What would you be noticing? What would you be looking at? What about their body language? You'd focus on the occupants. You might focus on the wait staff. Where are the hiding places? What are the escape routes? So you would see the restaurant completely differently depending on your point of view. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. How you notice someone depends on who you are and how you're thinking. So this is a great way to avoid, for instance, in a romance, you don't want to write generic descriptions. So in beginning books, sometimes you'll have uh, our manuscripts. Um, she sees the hero and, and she describes him in this typically hunky manner. And he's got these biceps and he's got this <laughs> kind of hair and this kind of eyes. Well, seriously, when you meet somebody, however gorgeous they may be, <laughs> you might think, man, he's even handsomer than my last boyfriend. <laughs> I never saw anybody's handsome as him, but maybe he's too handsome. So based on your personal experience and perceptions, you will see him differently. And when he speaks to you, you will react differently because of who you are. And this is part of your point of view. And here's a tip. That this is for advanced writers, but beginning writers should have this in mind. You are only going to, for the most part, we'll talk about this in a minute. You may also only be in a single point of view. In fact, you could even be writing in first person, which is how I'm writing my Safe Harbor Medical Mysteries. And so I can only be in one person's viewpoint. But you have to know what everybody else of importance and even some of the others in that scene, what's their point of view? What are they thinking? You don't need to overdo this in terms of every waiter, you know, that's not playing a role. But don't don't just have them all be flat characters and only your character has a point of view. They will act in interesting ways if you know what their perspective and their goals are for that scene. So for advanced writers in particular, make sure that you know in every scene what point of view is for the people whose points of view you're not writing. Okay. Now that's great advice. (laughs) Now, should you write from more than one point of view in a book? 
Well, that depends. If it's in the first person, it is possible to have dueling first person chapters. I'm not crazy about them myself, but I think in young adult, that's probably fairly popular. If it works, it works. In terms of within a chapter, I prefer to have one scene only from a single point of view. If I have to divide it, I find a place where it breaks so the reader's not left wondering, wait a minute, how come she's thinking about the fact that um, her wallet is cutting into her hip when we know that her wallet is in her purse? That's a silly example, but just on the spur of the moment. (laughs) I, I usually make a little bit of a break, sometimes a little asterisk, and... I reach a stopping point. Each each scene has a shape for me. And so I try to break so that it's clear to the reader what's going on. Should you go back and forth? She says something and thinks something. He says something and thinks something. That's called head hopping. There are authors who pull that off. It is more popular in, I think, in England and some other countries than in, in the United States. But you have to be really good to make that work. It can work, but it's so hard. What tends to happen is everything remains on a very superficial level. So if you're writing goofy comedy, maybe you can make it work. But you can't shape a scene very well. And she has, let's say, I'm, I'm saying she is my protagonist in this case. She has an expectation of what he's going to do. And he may do the opposite. If you're going back and forth in their viewpoints, the reader knows everything they're thinking. So no, there are no expectations that can be turned on their head. So you've taken away a tool that you could have used to create more tension. No surprises is what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. It, it really guts a lot of it. keeps it on a, a very shallow level. Um, I, one of the things I, I learned in teaching, <laughs> some people are very resistant to the idea of writing point of view. They, maybe they're mostly exposed to movies and TV. They don't. They fight the idea of writing, uh, of reading a lot of fiction and studying how it's filtered through point of view. And my advice to them is get out of your comfort zone. There is no fun drama unless you are the most crazy person in the world in your comfort zone. Yeah. People don't want to hang out in your comfort. They don't want to hang out in my comfort zone. I'm not that interesting. (laughs) Nobody nobody wants it. like listening to the same person. Yep, yep, yep. No, we want you to get out of your comfort zone and we want you to try point of view. If you are not sure about, for instance, head hopping, for instance, try it the conventional way, if you will, of doing one scene from one perspective. It may kill you at first because it's <laughs> not what, not the easy way. And I had this mistake in some of my earlier books, which I changed when I got the rights back and reissued them. But I've had students do that, and they told me that they were very resistant initially, and once they got used to doing it, they could never go back. In fact, they find that they really dislike it when they're reading the book, <laughs> and the author is doing that. I'm sorry, you, you may not want to change, but we all change. If we don't change, then we're going to be boring authors, and if our characters don't change, they're going to be boring characters. Right. In which case, if you're selling to a traditional publisher or self-published, you're possibly not going to find any readers That's if right. you're writing boring books. Yeah, I have that happen when I I when I go online and uh, for whatever reason have gotten some interest in a particular book, I 
tend to do that. Look inside the book. Right. So you read the first page and see if it seems like it's something I would enjoy that's interesting to me. And sometimes I'm reading something that from the blurb and the subject matter I think I would be interested in, such as medical fiction, because that's I'm writing medical mysteries right now. Um, and I start reading, and I go, who are these people? Where are they? Because I'm, I'm not in their point of view. They're not registering. Who, who am I, who's doing, who am I supposed to be, who's, who am I supposed to be involved in, engaged with? Who's my main character? Yeah. Um, who, there's, there's a lot of dialogue and he says this and she says that and the other person says something else. And I want to be in someone's perceptions. I want to be there with them going, uh, the room seemed to be all in shadows as he spoke. I could barely make out his, uh, the shape of his eyebrows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Winging it here, but I want to be inside their head. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny that whole look inside portion of the, of the Kindle books or other ebooks do it too. I happen to own a Kindle. But, Me too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, there was one called. I think it's a mystery. Sometimes I'm not sure what genre I should say something is, but I think it's a mystery, and it's called Annabelle Lee. And the first chapter is told from a nine-year-old girl's point of view who lives in Alabama and is learning to speak properly, but and it's in first person. And the, um, the language is just not quite right. And then she says, ain't all the time. And then she'll say, oh, Uncle Truck would be mad if I didn't learn how to say I am not properly or something. <laughs> and I was just so intrigued with this little girl. And she talks about, you know, walking around barefoot. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's not my life. I don't walk around outside barefoot. And I was just so intrigued that I went and bought the book. And yeah. it was a great book. Oh, and great. it was told from, I think, four different points of view. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can do a lot of different things with point of view. You can tell different sections of the book. You can go back and forth within a chapter as long as it's working, as long as you're building your story and your characters through point of view and your setting, and you can introduce background material gradually through point of view. We're not really talking about backstory in this podcast, but you don't want to do a data dump where you give all the background, but you can work in a tremendous amount of, of background through the person's perceptions, what they think about, what they think about themselves. And I, I, I find point of view to be uh, just a wonderful tool. Yeah. Now, you, you had me intrigued when you were talking about point of view and setting. So can you give us an example or two of something that's done well or maybe not done well also? Well, I wouldn't want to do something negative. Um, what is one that's done well? One, one mystery series that I particularly love, I don't know if you've ever read them, but Brother Cad File Mysteries. There okay. was a TV series based on it by Ellis Peters. There's a bunch of books in it and they were, they're set in, I think it's 12th century England in wow. a monastery. And Brother Cadfile is a former crusader who's now a monk and he's an herbalist and he solves mysteries. Oh. And in the course of the books, where it's all in his perspective, I think it is, it's in the third person. It, no, I think she does sometimes go into other characters, but it's mostly his he doesn't know any world other than the 12th century, but he does know a lot about herbs and he's traveled widely and he's very perceptive about people. So in his perceptive, we not only see the monastery and their rituals and their habits, 
what we get his take on them, which is where, for instance, during some of the prayers, he will position himself in the back of the church so he can take a little nap without <laughs> anybody noticing. So he can work in a little description there of what their their customs and their how the surroundings look in an interesting way. That's the Brother Cadfile Mysteries. Unfortunately, I did not write them. It's Cadfile, C-A-D-F-A-E-L, by Ellis Peters. Excellent. Wow. Okay, that actually reminds me of a book that I was sure I wouldn't like. My friend uh, Vanessa was telling me, you've got to read Assassin's Apprentice by Robin Hobb. And I was like, I don't really read medieval mystery uh, fantasy kind of things. She's like, just read it. So I was on a plane. I took only that book so that I could really forced myself to try to read because <laughs> I, I knew I was going to want to read. <laughs> and so I was reading page one. I'm like, this is killing me. And I got halfway through page two. I'm like, what? Wait, what? And then by the end of page three, I was like, oh my gosh, this book is so good. And it's told first person from the point of view of one character through a trilogy. And it starts out when he's five years old, which you think, how can you do that? But she does it in this way that makes you go, wow, I wish I could be that good of a writer. And the entire time, I mean, all the way through, um, I just finished book two, and he was still only about 16 or 18. And you don't think that's the age of somebody that you would necessarily, as an adult, be interested in reading. But, (laughs) excuse me, the way that you were seeing... Um, the castle and the political situation and the things that he was allowed or not allowed to do as the bastard son of the prince and people who did or didn't want to kill him. And it was just so interesting. And I realized that it's because of his point of view, right? Yeah, that, you, you made me think of another aspect. Of <laughs> there is always at least two point of views because there's always the point of view of the author. Right, yeah. There's always the point of view of the author, and the author's perceptions color what you're going to show. And so, for instance, just the fun thing that I'm doing with my uh, Safe Harbor Medical Mystery Series, because my hero is a doctor. He is in his mid-30s. He's widowed. And he's very different from me. I'm not a guy. I'm not a doctor. I'm not (laughs) in my 30s. And... Of course, I do a lot of research, and I have beta readers who give me feedback, including a a retired sheriff's investigator who's really tough to please. (laughs) And says, I wouldn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) So I try to make it believable. But I'm very aware of things that my hero, Eric, is not aware of. For instance, I'm a short woman, and people react to me in a certain way. He's a big, handsome guy. And people defer to him. Not all people. He has a sister-in-law who kicks his butt. And, <laughs> excuse my language. And he has a uh, best friend who's a homicide detective who's not overly impressed with him, especially when he interferes in investigation. <laughs> but he's not aware of the extent to which people defer to him and not in a negative way because he doesn't take advantage. But his nurse is very dedicated and She's always having to shift patients around because he's, <laughs> he's caught up in something. Sometimes because somebody's pointing a gun at him, but <laughs> there are things that happen. So I'm very aware that he's quite different from me. And that creates, I guess, a little bit of a tension between me and him. And I have to think very carefully when I go into his point of view 
about what he's going to think and how he's going to view things that's different from how I would. That is fascinating. Wow. It's almost in some ways when I started writing, I really liked the idea of writing fantasy. And I have written a couple of fantasy novels, uh, one called Shadow Light. Um, and I have a, an ebook called Out of Her Universe. I love writing from the perspective of people who are seeing a world that is alien to them or parts of a world that is alien to them. But you can do that even in a realistic novel because if you're writing about, if you're writing a historical novel, or if you're writing about, in my case, a male doctor in his 30s, which I'm not, (laughs) you really have to delve into being in another world. Right. Wow. And so with the point of view, you're going to, that's part of your world building will come through. It is. Okay. It is part of your world building. It's, it's a great tool. It's, it concerns me when I see new students, I'm not teaching now, but when I was, who really resisted it because they felt like, well, this is boring and I just want to get on with the story. But what makes the story fun is the people it's happening to and how they're reacting to it. Right. When you watch your favorite uh, action movies or science fiction movies, Star Wars or Star Trek, think about Star Trek. Think about the characters in Star Trek and how they react to things and how they, I mean, the Dr. Bones, he sees things very differently than Jim does. Yeah, <laughs> very. <laughs> and and uh, do, uh, Mr. Spock, I want to say Dr. Spock. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Spock, his perspective is totally different. He has a fascinating point of view which you cannot, in a script, develop in quite the same way, but the author or the screenwriter has to be aware of it. Yeah. It shapes the character. You know, it makes me think of um, Mr. Spock and uh, Sheldon and Big Bang Theory. If you were writing a book with one of those characters as your point of view character in a scene, it seems like they would be constantly asking themselves questions. Is that person being serious? Are they being truthful? Is this sarcasm that I haven't learned yet? You know, because yeah, those are questions that your character, when you're in their point of view, outside of the dialogue, they can be asking those questions. They can even be thinking very rude things that they wouldn't actually maybe <laughs> say to that person. But they, you know, you're full of it. But it's not in dialogue. It's in their head. And right. That can add to the fun, too. And I mean, again, some it. very funny bits. If you're writing comedy in particular, I tend to have humorous bits come in even with serious um serious writing because that's the way people in reality in most situations that are not totally dire uh people will react in ways that are a little bit humorous it's how they keep their sanity for one thing (laughs) right it shows their personality yeah yeah which is another great thing because then you can show the difference between this guy who's constantly cracking jokes and is never serious, and it makes you start wondering, is he ever serious? But that's how I would see him when I'm reading from this point of view. But then if I were to change to his point of view and read a scene from his point of view, I might realize how uncomfortable he is in a situation, right? And that's why he's doing it. In fact, that's another experiment, good good point, Kitty, <laughs> that you can do if you're really unsure of how to write a scene from any particular point of view, and there's more than one major character, write it from two, write two copies of the scene. One of the wonderful things with computers is (laughs) you can just save version one and then take version two and tell the same story from the other perspective. In fact, there have been uh, whole books that have 
played with that. And there's, there's tricks and things you can do, but you can also do it just for your own development. And you'll see how differently the characters behave when you get inside their heads. And that can help you with character development as well as with telling your story. That's excellent. That is really great stuff. I love it. Oh, good. <laughs> I like sharing tips. <laughs> now, in my experience, a lot of writers, particularly in the newer stages, but in general, a lot of writers struggle with point of view. Are there any tips that maybe some self-editing tips where you can help them to see whether or not they're doing it in a way that's not as, I don't want to say the wrong way, but uh, are there any tips to looking at your own work and noticing, okay, I think this is what Jack, Jackie means about head hunting or sorry, head hunting. <laughs> head hopping. <laughs> head hopping. <laughs> well, actually I did address some of these in my, um, how, how to write a novel in one not so easy lesson <laughs> um, by Jacqueline Diamond. Excellent. I suggest some ways in there to actually analyze someone else's writing. And one of the things you can do is take a book you like where you have a strong identification with the characters and take a chapter and maybe cover up the dialogue and just look at the in-between parts because that's the internal monologue and that's really where we're getting their point of view. Look at how they do description. It's not generic description. When you're in a character's viewpoint, you will never have just oh, the grass was green, the sky was blue, the trees looked like a Matisse painting. You will have their feelings about that place. It reminded him uncomfortably of home, the place that never had really wanted him, or something like that. Yeah, that's good. I like that. (laughs) Everything evokes an emotional response. She walked into this fabulously expensive, and she could describe some of the the decorations in this expensive house, and she would never be able to afford that. And she wondered why they even let her in the door. And she had the feeling that they would say, what are your shoes doing walking across my expensive um, marble? marble? Yeah, my expensive <laughs> marble floor. My goodness, it might, might show the impression of your nasty little feet that are inside <laughs> those shoes. I mean, she could be so insecure that she's thinking these things. Yeah. So the reaction to the description, so is there a reaction inside of your description? Is anything generic? Is there anything there that somebody who's just writing a, a tour guide would have put in there? Well, that's not point of view. That's, that's great. I love it. <laughs> that's really great stuff. Now, you know, you mentioned your book, and um, I have to say that I have uh, highlighted some bits in it. And there's one in particular part that I wanted to mention because it's a it's a feeling that I think that we all struggle with um, from time to time, sometimes longer periods than others. But uh, I think it's the introduction where you say, don't tell me that failure isn't an option. For most writers, it's an inevitability. The key to success is to learn from the failures and move on. And I was just thinking, you know, I would love to hear just a little bit more encouragement on that topic because, you know, point of view, it's a hard one. People really struggle with this and any encouragement from somebody who's done it more than a hundred times. Well, I've done it way more than a hundred times because I wrote for years before I sold. That was in the days before self-publishing. And the craft aspect is very difficult and I'm still improving and learning don't be too hard on yourself. Be willing to experiment, and sometimes you'll fail. 
So what? You Did you learn something from that failure? Even if it's just that, well, they were right when they said you shouldn't have green polka dotted men. A lot of people and they're starting now, and it isn't just point of view in many aspects. They'll start out because they don't know where they're going and they don't know who these people are because they're new to this. And it wanders here, it wanders there, and there's some good bits and there's some nice scenes and people like those things, but then it's not really coming together. Well, that's because you're a beginner. There are very, there, there's a few people. Take a look, we were talking earlier, Kitty and I were talking earlier about Harper Lee. And To Kill a Mockingbird, one of the most popular books ever written, won the Pulitzer Prize, uh, taught in classrooms, and deservedly so. But in later years, what came out was that that was not the first version. The first version was a book called Go Tell a Watchman. And I didn't read Go Tell a Watchman. It got very mixed reviews. But the fact is, it was she sent it to an editor, and the editor said, this is not work. But here's part of it, the part about this little girl. That's good stuff. Develop that. So she did, and eventually, she and she had other writing experience. I think she had done some short stories. She wrote this great book, To Kill a Mockingbird. So the first book, if she had just stopped there, we'd never have heard of Harper Lee, and we would never have read this wonderful book. Don't don't be so tough on yourself. You have something to say. It might take you a, a year to do be good at it. It might take you 10 years. What? Where are you going to be in 10 years if you're not doing it? People say, well, I can't do this because I'm in 10 years, I'm going to be 50. Well, how old are you going to be in 10 years if you don't do it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you want to do it enough, just do it. And then when you fail, go back and figure out why. Take classes if you can or online, or join Romance Writers of America, or any other writing group that will accept beginners. Um, Read books, get coaching by Kitty is available. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. You know, um, there's one other thing that you said, though, that really struck me as somebody who's got eight titles out. Um, Over 100 books, and you said you're still learning. Mm -hmm. So for people who are in my position, we've we've done some Mm -hmm. work, we've sold some books, like, what are your um, what are your best thoughts on how to keep on learning and becoming a better writer all the time? Well, challenge yourself. Don't stay in your comfort zone. Right. If, don't just write. If you've written some wonderful books about a certain subject or in a certain setting, that doesn't mean you can't continue. Because as I pointed out, I wrote 17 <laughs> romances set in Safe Harbor Medical Center, and, and I'm now working on my third mystery in that series. But... Don't explore the same territory each time. Give yourself something. Sometimes it's something that's really hard. It takes more research. Uh, you need more feedback. Your main character is, is more difficult or a secondary character. Challenge yourself. And that's how you grow and that's how you learn. I love it. That is great. Thank you so much. <laughs> you know, even if I didn't have a podcast, I'd be really glad that we had this conversation. Oh, that's, the best, that's the best tribute. I like that. <laughs> now, Jackie, is there anything else that you wanted to mention uh, about this topic or anything else that's come to your mind while we've been talking? Well, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed you underlined you must read fiction on your notes. Yeah. Please read fiction. If you are writing mysteries, read mysteries. If you are, you don't just read mysteries, but 
read a wide variety of them. Um, if you're writing romance, read the romance. Look at what you like. Why do you like it? Read what, if you don't like something, why do you not like it? You can learn as much from the books you don't like as from the ones you do like. So that would be one tip. Excellent. Great advice. Hopefully none of the books you don't like will be mine. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) I've enjoyed the ones that I've read. Good, good. I've enjoyed your books, Katie. Oh, thank you. We we have a mutually mutually beneficial relationship of liking each other's books, so that works out. And the thing is, is that I liked your books even before I met you. Oh, cool. Yeah. I like that even better. (laughs) Yes, I used to write for a Harlequin line called Duets, and some of those books have uh, reverted, the rights have reverted to me, and I'm reissuing them. There was uh, what one of them is called Designer Jeans, and that one is very, very funny. I don't know if you've read it, but um, there was a mix-up at the sperm bank. <laughs> <laughs> and this poor um, auto mechanic in Texas is about to dismay a shocking discovery <laughs> when a sophisticated L.A. lady arrives on his doorstep with their daughter, little baby. So I, that was designer jeans. That sounds fun. I'm going to have to read N E S. Yeah, yeah. And that was published as part of the duets line. Nice, awesome. Well, listen. If people want to follow up on uh, either your nonfiction teaching book or your novels or other things, where can they find you? Okay, I have a website, JacquelineDiamond.com. It's J A C Q U E L I N E, diamond like the stone. I'm also on Facebook. Jacqueline Diamond author. I have a page on Amazon under Jacqueline Diamond. I have um, Twitter, Twitter, Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's at it's Jackie J A C Q U E Diamond. Um, I d- took that because <laughs> Jacqueline Diamond and Jackie J A C K I E Diamond were already taken. <laughs> you can find me. So you can follow me. You can, on my website, JacquelineDiamond.com, there's a little slot where you can put in your email address and you will get a monthly newsletter and you can get free books occasionally and often sales for 99 cents. So it's a good way to follow and it's free and I don't sell your information. I don't spam you. Awesome. That sounds great. And if you're watching on YouTube, there's a few of Jacqueline Jacqueline Diamond books behind us. Yes. So uh, you can check that out along with a lovely piece of her mother's sculpture. Yes. So thank you so much for hosting us in your home and for helping all of us to uh, become better writers. Yes. And for those watching on on video, we're both wearing hats. Yes. (laughs) We've been having some fun doing dress up today. Thank you for loaning me a cool hat. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> well, thank you, everyone, for, for listening. Jackie, thank you for being here with us. My pleasure. All right. Hopefully, we'll have you on again soon. <laughs>